Welcome back to the Balance Bully podcast for ambitious women in business and a few brave men. I'm your host, Nikita Renthigpen. Always excited to be in the place with you. Listen, we are at the top of my new year, September. September is a spiritual new start for me personally. I've been taking this on for almost 12 years at this point, the amount of time that my husband and I have had this global personal development company, and it is Selfish September. So in September, we are talking about all the things that elevate you, that allow you to be refueled, to be healed in your core, to get rid of all of those scripts that have you thinking that you must do, you have to do things the way your mama or your papa or your guardian did it the way that other people told you you had to live your life, that you told yourself you were no longer doing, but there are parts of you that are still showing up, people-pleasing, maybe being overly assertive. I won't use the word aggressive because I'm a black woman and I don't need y'all pegging me no kind of specific way because I can get aggressive, but that's not what we're trying to do here. But all the things, and it shows up in the most intimate spaces of your life, in your love life. So that is why today I wanted to bring this beautiful queen here with me today, Miss Camille Baker. Welcome to the Balance Bully Podcast. You have a new book. You're all about love. You're all about elevation. And you infuse a little technology into everything you do, too. Welcome, queen. How are you doing today? Thank you so much, Nikita. I'm so good. Thank you for having me. I'm doing good. I feel good. I moved a little bit. Yeah, I'm feeling good. (laughs) I love it. So I would love for you to tell everyone about your new book that just dropped at the time that this episode has been released. So The Moment We Met is my second book. The first book that came out was Have We Met. It's in the same universe, so the same world. Some of the characters overlap. The Moment We Met, we were careful to make sure that it functions as a standalone novel. Um, And I really love this book like the after of writing it because it was a struggle writing it like this book kicked my butt like and compared to have we met i wrote that book for like a fun escape i wrote it quickly the first draft Mm -hmm. and like the plot was strong for the first draft and that never happened to me in my previous attempts at writing a book um so that was such Mm -hmm. a fun experience and i still hold it as like the best first draft writing experience i've ever had so when the moment we met came along, I expected more of the same because I had met the main character before. I had been excited about writing her for over a year. And so it was finally time for me to sit down and write it. But I was feeling anxiety, like writing anxiety for the first time. So I was under a contract with the second one. And I just remember I would sit down to write. And often I would be writing on the couch. My grandmother's on one side. We're watching Game Show Network, we're watching Wheel of Fortune, whatever. And I'm on the other side and I'm like writing and I would just feel like a weight on my chest. And I would feel like I wasn't breathing in. I wasn't getting enough air mm-hmm. in. And so I would just sit my laptop aside and like walk to the back, get water or whatever. But it was the first time I had experienced any type of like writing anxiety. Like, yeah, sure, you sit down, you don't know what to write. You don't know where the story is going. Sure, that's normal. But like that, like pressure on my chest, I was like, oh, this isn't... This isn't usual. So I got through that first draft, read it. It was as bad as I thought it was and rewrote the whole thing before I sent it to my editor. Um, So, (laughs) yeah. And then she helped me, of course, get it even better and better and closer to being ready for publication. 
Well, I wonder where, where do you think that anxiety like feeling was coming from? Was it something happening in your external world or do you think you were just wrapped up in your head, maybe analysis, paralysis, self-doubt, overthinking or a combination? Yeah. So I've thought about it and I talked about it with my therapist. <laughs> um, and so have we met, I wrote it in 2019 and I edited it like through the pandemic, through the pandemic lockdown. That's when I edited it. And so this second book was written entirely in the pandemic. So yeah, that external factor of, you know, being in a place, some people were outside. I was not outside, <laughs> but so I was writing it. Um, so that's definitely a factor. Um, but also for the first time I had like money tied to me writing this book. I had contractual obligations of like what day it would be delivered. Um, I had the knowledge that people would read it because before, like I had written so many books that I wrote and was like, uh, I can't get this good enough. I'm just going to set it aside. So after a while of writing a book, you don't know if anyone's going to see it. You're writing and you're like, oh, it's like freedom. But with the moment we met, like it was guaranteed that people were going to see it because the book had already been sold. <laughs> so yeah, that definitely added to the pressure. Money coming into the mix always adds to pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I, f- I feel like I read that you have a financial background. Is that what you went to school for too? Yep. That's what my degree is in my bachelor's at least is in um, finance, business administration with like corporate finance angle. Mm-hmm. And I minored in economics. I still like really love economics. Like it was just something that my brain understood. And I love like being like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so I still right. like economics a lot, but I never actually used it after I graduated. Mm-hmm. I... Well, so I worked in career management office for two years, like my last two years. So I was steadily around like job opportunities. I saw the interview process. I was with um, the career management advisors. So I had easy access to that. Um, And so I knew the path of getting a job in the corporate world of using my degree and But at that time, I had already fallen in love with sign language. I had already fallen in love with writing. And so I was thinking like, okay, this idea of being a sign language interpreter has been presented to me. I didn't think it was possible because I was learning, just learning the language. And so once you really Mm -hmm. get in, you start realizing how complicated it is and how hard. So I was like, I don't know if I can do this. But after I, you know, realized like it was possible for me, I was like, okay, I'll do this. But then I had this decision. I was like, yeah, I'll just do interpreting training program after I graduate. But then I'm still working at the career management office and I'm still seeing people interview. And I'm like, but shouldn't I be doing that? Maybe this position doesn't sound bad. Like maybe I would enjoy this financial rotational job. Maybe I just haven't been exposed to different possible jobs to see if I would maybe like them. So I applied to a few jobs. I applied to three, I think. And the first two interviews were just like, never called back with this third one. I got like invited to the second round. I flew to Atlanta, saw their offices, met with three people, a whole team of people, a whole group of people my age interviewing. And I was like, Ooh, this sounds great. Like I would be making so much money. Like I've never made this much money before. (laughs) Um, so I was really enamored with that opportunity. And I, I kid you not, like they fly you to Atlanta 
I flew back to Ohio because I was going to Ohio State. I had a group meeting with one of my groups for a class that night. So I got off the plane, got to that group meeting. And by the time I got home that same night from flying back from Atlanta, it was a rejection in my email saying no. (laughs) And I was like so crushed at the same time. You have that in the back of your mind, like this wasn't even your your plan A. Like this was your plan. Maybe I should be doing this, right? Right. So it was like a clear indication that I am meant to, you know, follow this like interpreting dream and continue writing and follow my writing dreams too. No, I love that, especially considering that at the time this episode is airing, it's in September, which is that clean slate, that selfish September where you're really able to listen to what you need and not just the people around you, not even just the circumstances that might be forcing you to look at things differently than you intuitively feel like you should be, you know, looking at things. So the fact that you were in this situation where you're like, well, I have these opportunities. I have the degree. I got, I got the receipts. I could technically, you know, work in this organization and do all the things, but there was something bigger than you saying, no, if you do this, you're going to pull away from so many people who need you that you don't even know need you yet. Because yes, as an interpreter, that's a whole pocket of impact in and of itself, right? Like that's a serious responsibility. And then you also have this beautiful creative part of you that's serious medicine for yourself, as well as for the world of people that love to escape into these novels and see themselves in the characters and be able to take a breather from whatever storms or hurricanes or tsunamis life is sending them. And that was the bigger responsibility, at least for this hour of your life that you could have literally, you know, been in rebellion against by saying, you know what, I'm going to go after another one. I'm going to apply for five more, right? You know, financial like jobs. And you didn't do that. You listened to the signs that you were giving that maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Cause you could have been a rebellion. You right. could have just been like, Oh, you know, tell me, no, I'm going <laughs> to bust down some doors, but you didn't do that. Do you know what made you submit to the fact that there was more out there for you to do? And you didn't have to take the path just because you, you know, spent the time getting the certification and the degree in it. Yeah, like I think back on that time in my life and I know like I remember talking with my best friend about the rejection and about, okay, I guess this means I'll go into the interpreting training program. And so there was so much support on that end that even when it's like I'm telling my family, like, oh, yeah, I graduated, but I'm just going to go to the community college and go to this interpreter training program afterwards. And they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) They're like, so do you think you're going to use your finance degree? And I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) that's what you want to do. Okay. You know, we'll see. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, you're using Um, it now, collecting them dollars, so. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think just having that one person who's like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, do it. That sounds cool. Like that, like encourages me enough, like just one person, like, all right, I'm going to do it. I remember when I first decided that I wanted to publish books, like I was so like kind of nervous to tell like my friends, like, oh yeah, I want to be a writer. I want to, you know, I want to be an author. But literally every friend that I entrusted with that was like, oh yeah, I can see you doing that. Like so cool. I'm like, oh, thanks. (laughs) And so I was finally, you know, feel confident telling anyone like, oh yeah, I write. I'm a writer. Even before I was an author, like I felt like, oh yes, I am a writer. That's right. Because I had those friends right. feeding into me and, you know, believing in me. 
Look at the difference that a good circle yeah. could do. Because you could have had a circle of change agents that were more on the hate side of possibility and projecting their fear on you of all the things that they didn't think you should do because, oh, no, you're not going to make money. You know, all the, the narratives that are out there about creative opportunity. Yeah. And I don't think I really had much of those in my like inside circle, which is such a blessing um, for interpreting for our internship. Uh, One of my mentors had us have me like draw a picture, like my interpreting committee, he called it. And it was like, who are the people that are in your brain when you're working, your hands are up, you're interpreting, you're, you know, about to go into a job, like who's in your committee. And so I was like, okay, like what voices are in my head, you know? And so I like, made a note of these people. I'm like, oh, this person, like they're always encouraging of me or this person, they're always like impressed with like how my skills have developed in this person. And it was all positive people. And like the one negative was like my inner critic was like, oh, and me and my high standards for myself. Um, And so when I showed it to him, he was like, huh, like this is really nice that it's a positive committee because I guess when he gives the assignment to um, other students, like it was a lot of like negative people, people who said negative things to them throughout their journey. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, it does. It does make a difference. You are what we would consider an anomaly because negativity bias, which is a psychological concept is a real thing. And more than 80% of the world falls into negativity bias first. So an assignment like that, they would have immediately thought of the negative people, the negative comments, the negative scripts that were, you know, floating towards them constantly before they could weed through that and say, oh yeah, uh, Tina, Tanya, Jan, John, they actually were positive, but they would have had a litany of other people first that were not as supportive and encouraging. So you are, my dear, an anomaly. Oh, thanks. I wonder why I am like this. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it's my Pisces nature somehow. I don't know. I just gotta, my, just gotta, you know, my late, forget the haters. my late February sister cousin would very much agree with you that it is a Pisces nature. <laughs> there is something about those, those fishes in you, those swimmers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I would love for you to share a little bit about what you're doing to create work life and love balance for yourself. Like how with all, you know, the deadlines, I know they're not removed. They show up in a different way now that the book is out and published and all of it. What does life look like for you now as you're creating your new version of joy? So, yeah, for me right now in my life, I really am prioritizing work and my family and loved ones and friends. So for like the usual day, like I interact with family on a day-to-day basis. Like I live either in Chicago or San Antonio. I'm living with family, either of those places. I got different guest rooms all over. Yes, honey, (laughs) that's love. (laughs) I know, my best friend's dad called me a vagabond. I was like. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I was like, I'm just living. (laughs) Trying not to pay rent out here, it's wild. So, um, yeah, I feel like my balance is definitely focused more on the books I want to write and I'm discovering myself through the books I'm writing and learning more about myself. So that's been really rewarding. Um, I'm finding time to connect with my body and movement, which is new because before I was pretty okay with not moving and not working out before um, pandemic time. 
But once you like start yeah. moving and start stretching and I got into like pole dancing. And so with that, like, nice. it makes you like after a few days of not moving, your body hurts. And I'm like, well, it didn't hurt before when all I did seven days a week was sit around. Like, why are you hurting now? And it's like, I don't know, like maybe it's because I've exposed it to what it can be doing. <laughs> and it wants more of that. So it gives me signals like, hey. like, yeah, it's time to move again. <laughs> um, so that's like really what I'm balancing and spending time with my family as much as possible because, you know, time is limited. And I feel like in the recent years, it's been more like of a prevalent thought in my mind of how much my time is limited with the people I love most. Yes. Um, so connecting with them, interviewing them is where my energy is going for romance. Like I love romance. I love rom-coms. I love reading it. But for me personally, I'm still just so like, and the older I get and the more I know myself, the more I realize the pool of people that would actually complement my life and allow me to live the life that I'm building still and make it maybe better. It's getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> like very small chance. So I don't know. I wrote dating apps into this book and a few times I thought like, Oh, let me see what's on dating apps. Like this seems like maybe I'll meet someone cool who likes to read books, and likes to buy me books. <laughs> but you know, that's not easy to come by swiping on a dating app. So it's like, I don't have energy for this, but I'll just pour it into what I do have energy for. No, I listen, I'm actually not mad at any of the part of the process while you are single and savvy being out here in these streets ambitious about your business being focused on your career and doing it and in parentheses a and d being open to the possibilities of what will come in that's worthy of who you are as well as who you're becoming that should go down to a really small circle because there is that forever lover that is being readied for you at this this moment. So it's okay. Do you, while they're being done up <laughs> for, for you, and when it's time, the, I believe in divine time, when it's divine time, you will come together and they will not complete you because you're already complete. You are good all by yourself, but they will compliment you and you will just be greater together. I stand on that. Yeah. And I think I, that's what I was kind of getting at with these two books because it is like kind of like divine intervention. It's ancestors having, you know, an influence yes. over the people you meet. And I think even with, um, my life, like my mom who passed when I was young influenced who I met. Like I met my best friend not even a year after my mom passed. And like within that next year, her mom also passed. So we were like two best friends who like both shared that like unfathomable loss. Um, and it helped me feel not alone. Like for the rest of my life, I felt like I was not alone with this. Um, so that's like, you know, what I was getting at with the book too, like the people we meet and why we meet them. Absolutely. I what a lot of what we teach, I'm a balance and relationship advisor who's also a sexologist. And a lot of what I teach the power couples and the married women entrepreneurs that I work with, it's really about not needing anyone. It's who you want and you being with that person because you want to be with that person. Relationship intimacy is 360 degrees. It's not just about your forever lover, which matters, especially if that's who you want in your ecosystem. 
but your sister friends, your cousins, your sister cousins, those colleagues that you're like, oh, we can do more than have water cooler talk. I might actually invite y'all to my house, right? <laughs> like, you know, those people and being able to have spaciousness for that, that enriches you overall and it not being about, I just have to have this one person. Because honestly, for most women, and hear me, all of you ambitious women in business and those few brave men that are listening to this, women are layered and complex. Usually one person, whoever it is, is not enough for us. That one person might be our person where we're the most intimate with, the most communicative with. We might, by proximity, spend the most time with. But there are still sister friends and cousins or colleagues or whoever that we share other elements of ourselves with. And that really feels fulfilling versus us feeling like we have to be locked in to this one soul. And then that one soul betrays us for whatever reason, whatever is going on. And the betrayal might not be intentional. It could be because they left and now we feel abandoned and therefore betrayed. And it wasn't intentional. And now we don't feel like we can go on living life. The reality is you were meant to keep living if you still have more breath in your body. So you making that spaciousness for yourself right now and saying, listen, I'm creating my joy right now and I'm flowing with it. And if you are worthy to come into my ecosystem, you are welcome. If you are not, stay over there and let me keep having what I need get smaller and smaller so that it's mine. And I don't feel like I need to go along to get along with everyone else just because everyone else is dating and mating. That may not be what I want in this hour of my life. And I'm all right with it. Yes, exactly. To all of that. (laughs) (laughs) So Camille, how are you giving yourself, you know, permission to pause with all the PR and all the things that are going on, all the spectacularness around your book, which is amazing. How are you giving yourself that pause these days? Yes. So I mentioned pole dancing before, but other than like being cute and being fun (laughs) and getting super strong, um, it gives me like a new connection with my body. Like I feel like since I've started, I've learned my body's tells more. Um, I've learned to listen to it more. So I think even with like that feeling of the pressure, like where I'm feeling that pressure on my chest of when writing earlier, like listening to that and unpacking it. And so things like that, like connecting with my body gives me permission to pause because I'm really prioritizing how my body feels because yeah, it's physical, but the physical is connected with the mental. And so that's why, you know, I'm prioritizing it. A thousand percent. I always say the body tells on you. Even if your mouth won't tell the truth, your body will tell on you. So you giving it the respect and honor that it deserves and, you know, letting those muscles be activated (laughs) that were like, hey, we missed you. We haven't seen you since you were little and you were running around (laughs) on the playground. It's really important. That's really awesome. (laughs) So how can people connect with you and find more about how we met? Yes, the best way to connect with me is my website, CamilleBaker.com. There's an author contact form there that if you send me a message, I'll read it and probably respond. Um, also, all my social media links are on my website, so you can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter. That's where I'm at most often. And also, if you care about what I'm reading and loving, you can follow me on Goodreads. 
Nice. I love it. Thank you so much, Camille, for showing up, for taking out this time. I know you had a full day of interviews and PR, and I know it doesn't stop here. So we honor you, and we are all looking forward to getting more of the stories, the novels, the creativity, and just the access to that beautiful, brilliant brain of yours. Thank you so much, Nikita. It was honestly the best way to end my PR day. So thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Balance Boldly listeners, thank you again so much for tuning in. If you are new to the show, there are always two things, usually two, sometimes three, but today just our normal two that I ask. I want you to honor our featured expert guest today, Camille Baker, by going to her site and following, sharing with at least one person in your ecosystem that you know could benefit from just having access to her brilliance in any way, shape, or form that it makes sense for you. And the second thing is for you to enjoy the balance of your day, but remember, do it boldly. 